Christians, let's not lose hope. Let's not get distracted by this pain or overwhelmed by our anxiety. Let's focus our attention on this judge who judges perfectly to restore all that has been taken, to look out for the well-being of his children, to care for those whom he loves fully. And let's do this beside our brother and our sister who's hurting. And let's point them to the judge who cares who will restore their brokenness and make it right in a way I don't understand, in a way greater than we could ever hope for in this world. Let us take action because we trust in Him. I don't know what that action looks like. I don't know what that means. But I know this, when we begin to cry, and cry for justice, to raise our voices and pour out our hearts and begin to stand with those who are hurting and love. God will be made known to those who are far from Him, those who are. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out And God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. On January 6th, Emily and I set out to start this year unlike any other. We had these really big, lofty, exciting goals. And we sat down and after much prayer and conversation, on January 6th, we spelled out six months worth of the life of the point. This was our communication plan, our small groups, how we're going to help you connect with others. This was our outreach and our fellowship and the things we're going to do for fun. This was even the sermon series. And then 2020 told us that nothing goes according to plan. Nothing goes as we hope. And so most of what we planned and most of what we decided got thrown away or set aside or pushed back for another time, another date. We'll do it later. But I'm excited because today we get to start something that we have been talking about since January 6th. And since we did that day of planning, even through all of this craziness, this is something I've been super, super looking forward to. See, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Real Men Cry. And we decided June would be a great month to explore what does masculinity look like? What does it look like to be a man who loves God in this world? How do we do that? And we thought June would be a good month for two reasons. One, naturally Father's Day is coming up in a couple of weeks. And we thought it'd be good to talk to dads about the kind of dads they are and the kind of men they can be. And and even to women, to talk about what kind of men should we be looking for or encouraging or supporting. How do we as a community expect godly masculinity. And in ways we could not have planned, we had planned that Real Men Cry week two, so next Sunday, would be Real Men Cry 
for justice. Seems kind of fitting right now. I love how the Holy Spirit works that six months ago we set out with this ambition that we're going to talk about justice. And now, as you probably well know, this country is crying for justice. This country is in this, uh, the middle of this place of pain and anguish and turmoil saying, now what? Where do we turn? And the, the reason we had talked about doing Real Men Cry for Justice is because normally the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking during the month of June does something called 100 Men Strong. And this is an initiative of theirs to try to get a hundred men from around the community, leaders in various businesses and fields of work, people from all different walks of life, men to stand up and say, we will cry for justice for those who are being trafficked. We will make our voice known and begin to take action that something can change. And so we thought between Father's Day and the coalition and, and their initiative, we'll talk about justice and masculinity and, and what do we do? And with everything that has happened, I decided to flip-flop these two weeks and take what was going to be next week and put it today. What is justice? This is a big word that you've probably heard thrown out there. It can be thrown out to support all sorts of viewpoints, those that you're for and those that you're against. What is justice? Well, first I want us today to look at what justice is not. And we're going to look at what justice is not, ways that we often get it wrong. Then we're going to look at what justice is and where we find justice. And finally, we're going to look at what you and I, as men and women, as followers of Jesus, can do about justice. So, where do we begin? Let's look at what justice is not. As we look in our community today, not necessarily here in Knoxville, but around the country in cities that many of us have friends and family that live in, people we know who love Jesus, we see hurting people. Hurting people who are crying out for justice, saying enough is enough, something needs to change. And in some parts of the country, this cry for justice has come out in a lot of anger and hurt and even violence. In some parts of the country, this cry for justice has come out as a desire to get even, to stick it to the man, to give them what they deserve. We immediately can be put off by this. We could choose to ignore the cry for justice by these acts of, of those who are crying for justice in a way that we would say, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem right. But you need to know, hurting people often cry for justice by trying to get even. We're going to begin today in Genesis chapter 34. And in chapter 34, we see this great injustice that is done. And these men who respond to injustice in a really unhealthy way. Genesis chapter 34, uh, verses 1 through 4, here's where we're going to start. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. This cry of injustice begins with one of the great-granddaughters of Abraham, 
the, the daughter of Jacob, going out in this new land she's living in, exploring, seeking to build community, to get to know these women, to make friends, to be a part of the community. And instead, how is she received? She's taken aside and raped. And worse yet, the man who raped her, who took advantage of her, who humiliated her, desires to make her his wife forever. How would you respond to this kind of injustice? Where would you turn? What would you do? So Shechem and his dad, they come to Jacob and they say, hey, hey we have a solution. We want to marry your daughter. Let us marry her and she can be part of our family forever. But there's a big problem with this. You see, for the people of God, the family of Jacob, you could only marry, you were only supposed to marry somebody who was a part of your family, who honored and worshiped the same God, who didn't pursue these other idols, and to marry someone who was uncircumcised, that is outside of the faith, would have been an even greater humiliation. What are they to do? How do they get justice for their daughter, their sister? What do they do? And so Jacob's sons, they come up with a plan. This is their plan. Well, let's make it so that in her marriage, it will be less humiliating. Here's what they suggest in verse 13. The sons of Jacob, the answer Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. The sons of Jacob, his two children, they have this solution. Well, this first injustice was great, but it would be an even greater injustice if she married you. So here's the solution. Become like us. Join our clan. Join our community. Get circumcised. And then it'll be okay. Now, a lot of boys, most boys who are circumcised, it happens at a very early age, only a couple of days old, as opposed to as a grown man. And I'm not going to go into the anatomy of it, but imagine as a grown man, the leader of your community coming to you saying, we all need to get circumcised. You want me to do what? Are you sure? Okay. So all of these men eager to receive the family of Jacob as one eager to reconcile and be made whole, eager to be together, they all agree to being circumcised. And this is where we see the hurt of the, the sons of Jacob come out. Going forward in verse 25, it says this, on the third day when they were sore, as we can all imagine why, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all of the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the, with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. 
They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Do you see this cry for justice? Their sister was raped. And their response is to come up with a way to get even, to make them pay for what they took, an eye for an eye. And so they go in and they find this plan to cripple all the men, to make them weaker so that they can come in in their anger, in their hurt, in their cry for justice. And they can kill and they can steal and they can riot and they can plunder and life can be destroyed for this city. Does that sound like some of the cries for justice we've seen in recent weeks? Hurting people wanting to get even? Hurting people wanting to, to get back at the one who hurt them? But there's another way that we do justice wrong. Sometimes in the name of justice, we claim equality. Sometimes we say, well, if, if justice can't be had, what we need to do is just give everybody equal opportunity, equal chance, equal resources. If only they can be equal, then it will be just. There's another story in 1 Kings where we see exactly this mentality. And this story is uh, in 1 Kings. This is of uh, a guy named Solomon. And if you're not familiar with Solomon, he was a very young king. This was early on in his ministry as he'd just gotten started as king. He followed the greatest king who had ever led the people of God and even after Solomon, whoever leads the people of God, at least human kings, that is. And so Solomon is, is new in ministry. He's new in leadership. He's trying to figure out how do I lead these people faithfully? And he's presented with a really challenging situation of injustice. First Kings chapter three, verse 16, it says this, then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him and they continue with their story. They continue to share with this king their pain. You see, they both had a child at about the same time and one of their children died. And so one is claiming that they swapped babies and that the other one stole their child. Whose child is this? What do you do? Well, Solomon as king, he could have just dismissed the case. He could have looked at their past as prostitutes, at their present and their sinfulness and said, well, look at all the reasons you don't deserve justice. It doesn't matter what happens to your children. Look at all the reasons this isn't a good situation. He could have just dismissed it and ignored it. Instead, he offers a solution of equality. At least that's what it appears. When both women argue their case and both women say, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. And when both women accuse the other, Solomon's solution? Well, let's just give you both equal share of the baby. Quite literally, let's cut the baby in half and you can both have half. That way it's equal, right? Then justice is done. If you both have half, then who can complain, right? And the one woman, she replies, well, that sounds fair to me. But the other woman, she says, no, don't, don't kill this baby. Let the other woman have this child. And Solomon, he sees this plea for mercy, this love and tenderness and, and gentleness, this care for this child from the one woman. And he realizes this baby truly belonged to her. You see, the one who was crying for justice was okay with equality if it meant she got what was hers and the other person didn't get 
what was theirs. But the one who was truly suffering this injustice, she wasn't seeking any or equality. She wasn't seeking that it would be made even for both of them. She was seeking the well-being of one she loved. It's a very different thing than equality. Justice is not about everybody having the same. Justice is about the well-being of ones we love. The well-being of those who've been hurt or are potentially about to be hurt. Those who are facing a grave danger like a baby being cut in half. Justice is about them being taken care of. Even at the great loss and great suffering of this woman who would have given up her child so that it lived. It goes on, Solomon gives the baby to the rightful mother. And all the people of Israel hear of this judgment. And it says, they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Doing justice, being a man or a woman who cries for justice is not about retaliation. It's not about giving them what they deserve. It's not about making sure that everybody's equal and has the same. No, it's something we can only know and only do as a gift from God. This wisdom that he gives to show us what is right and where to go next. In the last week, I've heard a lot of voices cry. A lot of people uh, share their thoughts and their opinions, some comforting and some challenging, some that are condemning and some that are condoning. A lot of voices that have been out there. But where's the wisdom of God? The wisdom that seeks not to make things equal, but will lay down everything for the well-being of one we love. That will lay down everything for the sake of those who are hurting. This is what it means to cry for justice. So where do we find this justice? If it's not and giving them what they deserve and retaliation out of anger, if it's not causing them the pain they caused to me, and it's not creating equality for all, but it's something so much more. Where do we find this justice? Throughout the Old Testament, justice and love are often paired together. With love comes justice, and with justice comes love. Together, these two things go hand in hand. In the book of Isaiah, there's several times where God talks about justice for the people. In the very beginning in chapter 1, he, he talks about you are not doing justice. This is what you need to be my people. Seek me and seek justice. And as the story in Isaiah goes on, the people continue to sin and continue to fail. And time and time again, as God brings pain and punishment and consequence to the people, he gives a promise of one who will restore all things. This is the first one I want to look at today, and it is Isaiah chapter 9. Perhaps you've heard this verse before. Chapter 9, he gives this promise. In the midst of all of this judgment and pain, he stops and he says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the midst of this proclamation of God's judgment upon the people, Isaiah gives this promise. There will be a son who is born. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. His, upon his shoulders will be the government of all the land. And he will govern it with justice and with righteousness. And what's going to accomplish this justice? What's going to bring about this righteousness for all of time? The zeal of the Lord. The zeal. The passion. The love. The drive. The desire of the Lord. This will bring about justice and righteousness for all of time. He goes on a couple chapters later in chapter 42. He gives another promise of the one who's coming. This son who will be born to bring justice. He says this, chapter 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth just, justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Again, there's this promise of one who's coming upon whom the Spirit of God will rest for the purpose of bringing justice. Matthew chapter 12 quotes this exact section and says Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. Jesus is the one to whom we turn and cry out for justice. He is the one who will make all things right. You see, justice is not revenge. It's not retaliation. Justice is not equality. Justice is taking all that is wrong and all that is broken and making it right, restoring it, healing it, bringing new life where there was once death. Justice is something we only find in Jesus. In fact, upon his shoulders, the government will rest. As he hung on the cross and he suffered and died, even in that moment as, a, as an innocent man being accused of being a criminal, dying a death he didn't deserve, he cried out for forgiveness for the very ones who killed him. And in his death and in his resurrection, there's this promise. He now sits enthroned as judge of the universe. I often see people quote on Facebook that Jesus doesn't judge anybody. He loves everyone. And oftentimes we're really uncomfortable with the idea of Jesus as judge. But the truth of the matter is because of his death and his resurrection, the only way justice will be served to this earth is for Jesus to sit enthroned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To return from that place enthroned on high, to come down again and restore all that is broken. To make right everything that has been wronged. And our hope for Jesus as judge is not this vengeful judge coming to get revenge. Not this vengeful judge coming to give us what we deserve. Not this judge coming to make us feel what we made him feel. This judge coming to restore and to heal, and to bring justice. 
you and I can only cry for justice, can only stand up for justice when we first look to the King who judges everyone. And it's only from that place, as one who's been forgiven, who's been set free, who knows the weight of our sin is upon his shoulders, only from that place can we begin to do the justice he's bringing to this earth. You and I, as men or women, you and I have a responsibility in Scripture to do justice. In action, not something we just talk about, but a way that we live. Justice that fits not with the world's understanding, but with His promises. Justice. So how do we do this? In light of His death and His resurrection and the justice He gives that our sins are no more, we've been set free, now what? I want to give you three things I think you and I need to begin doing today and tomorrow and every day. And if you and I and others around us as people of God set free by Christ, if we do these things, I believe justice will come. First, you and I need to begin to love. And, and this is an acronym. We need to begin to love L-U-V. We need to learn to listen. See, justice begins with listening. Solomon, he heard the pleas of these women. He heard both arguments and he waited until afterwards to give a response. But oftentimes when we listen, our listening is intended to rebuke or to have our rebuttal to come back with, this is what I want to say. So we listen most often so that we can respond. It's not what we need to do when we cry for justice. No, we need to listen for the purpose of understanding. Let me understand the pain that you are feeling. Let me understand the mix of emotions that you are going through. Let me understand the problem that you're facing. Let me understand what it's like to be you. I don't need to agree. I don't need to prove that I'm right. I don't need to debate. Let me understand you. And when we listen for the purpose of understanding, there's a third thing that comes out of this. Let me validate you. Your pain is real. It may not be my pain. It may not be my experience. It may not be my thoughts. But it is your pain. Let me validate you. Let me say that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be broken by things I don't understand. It's okay to be hurting by things I've never experienced. It's okay to not know what to do next. And while it's not okay to riot and loot, it is okay to be filled with this hurt and this anger and not know what to do with it. We listen to understand, to validate. That's the first step in bringing justice. Second, we need to love. Uh, not that acronym I just shared, no, we need to love. Love is throughout scripture coupled with justice. It was because of Christ's love for you and me that he came to bring us justice. It was because of his love that he took our place and he suffered and died to restore all that was taken from us in sin and in death. And so we need to love those who are hurting, those who have experienced injustice, an injustice we may or may not understand personally whether it's that injustice of child abuse or of rape 
or of human trafficking or of racism, whatever that injustice is that they are experiencing. We need to love them. Why Christ has loved us, laying down our perspectives and our prerogatives and even our pro political persuasions, laying down our passions and ourselves, giving everything about us up to them. To say, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to stand with you. I'm here to help as you need it. What can I do? How can I love? How can I give myself fully? even unto death. This is what love looks like. And when you and I as Christians, especially you and I as Christian men, when we begin to stand up against injustice with an attitude of listening and understanding and validating that's coupled with love, genuine compassion for those who are hurting, I promise you when we do this, the world will change. The world will take notice. See, the early church did not set out to change the world. The early church did not have these big lofty goals and agendas and plans and things they were going to do for the church to grow. Simply, the early church got together and they loved one another. And when oppression and injustice came into their circle, they dealt with it by loving one another. Not by retaliating, not by raising eye for an eye, not by trying to make all things equal, but by caring for those who are hurting, for the well-being of their children, for the future livelihood of the people who've experienced oppression. That's what we need to do. And when the church did this, people took note. And day by day were added to their number. Day by day, people came to them saying, tell me more about this Jesus you, you say will bring justice. Tell me more about him. So we need to love. And then we need to love. And finally, what do we need to do to begin to cry for justice? We need to trust the judge. Oftentimes we think of Jesus as a judge or God as a judge against us and our sin. But the truth is he's not a judge against us. He's a judge for us. And so when we've been wronged, when we witness or experience or sense an injustice, when we recognize oppression, we need to trust in the judge who will make all things right. There will be a day when racism will no longer exist. That day's coming when the judge returns. There will be a day when human trafficking is ended. That day is coming when the judge returns. There will be a day when those who've suffered abuse at the hands of their parents or their spouse or their boyfriend will be restored. And that day is coming when the judge returns. So let's not lose hope. Let's not get distracted by this pain or overwhelmed by our anxiety. Let's focus our attention on this judge who judges perfectly to restore all that has been taken, to look out for the well-being of his children, to care for those whom he loves fully. And let's do this beside our brother and our sister who's hurting. And let's point them to the judge who cares who will restore their brokenness and make it right in a way I don't understand, in a way greater than we could ever hope for in this world. 
Let us take action because we trust in Him. I don't know what that action looks like. I don't know what that means. But I know this. When we begin to cry, and cry for justice, to raise our voices and pour out our hearts and begin to stand with those who are hurting and love, God will be made known to those who are far from Him and those who are near. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the perfect judge. You are the giver of all justice. You are the one who restores all that has been taken, all that is broken, all that needs to be made new. God, help us to trust in your promises. Help us to listen and understand and validate. Help us to seek your wisdom, to walk in your ways, to love justice. God, may we as the men of this church and this community cry out for justice. May we not sit back passively and wait for it to happen. May we not cast our judgment and our condemnation. May we instead lift our hearts and our voice to say, God, come quickly and restore what is broken. May we stand with our brothers and our sisters who are hurting. May we love them fully. And may you be made known in us and through us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue our worship now, we are going to do something we do quite often. Confession. See, the truth is, when it comes to justice, I am the problem in this world. When it comes to racism, I am the problem. When it comes to those who've been abused, I am the problem. Not because... I intentionally or, or cognizantly am the one doing these acts. But I am the problem because in my sin, in my pride, in my prejudice, I don't stand up in love. And the truth is you probably don't stand up perfectly in love either. And so we confess our sin to God, one to another, together as one people. And we cry out and say, God, forgive us. So we're going to put these words on the screen. I want to invite you to say these out loud with me, this confession that we're going to share before God. Will you join me in this? Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. There's a promise in Scripture that when we confess our sins one to another, He is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins. So now, on behalf of Jesus Christ, by His power and His command, as a called and ordained servant of Christ, I forgive you all of your sin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
And now, church, we're going to collect our offering and we're going to sing another song. And in a moment, we're going to respond to the questions you've texted in today. Our offering is an opportunity to say, God, let me trust you with my money. Let me partner with you with my money. Let me help to cry for justice and bring justice to our community with my finances. If you're prepared to give today and you'd like to do so online, you can do so at thepointknox.com. You can click on that little blue button and give a gift to support what we're doing here and in our community and the ways we stand beside our brothers and our sisters. If you would rather give cash or check, you can do so either with our P.O. box in the mail or going directly through a Regents drive-thru. As Nick puts this up on the screen to remind you how you can give, however you choose to give, remember today this promise. We don't give to get his love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Hey guys, welcome back. So, there wasn't so much a question as it was a statement mixed with a question that came in, but I'll share it with you to respond anyway. Before the killing of George Floyd, did you know that in 1944, a young African-American boy, boy named George Steiny Jr., who was only 14 years old, got wrongfully accused of killing two Caucasian girls that were 11 and 7, and he was executed. It's a really sad and true story. I think from what I've gathered over this last week, most of those who are hurting and angry and crying out for justice right now are not doing so over the murder of George Floyd. It's over what is an apparent pattern of systemic racism, an apparent pattern that seems to justify an increased number of African Americans who die without the right to a trial. And sometimes in our media, uh, these deaths are dismissed because of criminal past. Similar to these prostitutes with Solomon, these deaths are dismissed like, well, look at their previous lifestyle or association. These weren't good people. But I think for many, the cry of hurt and pain today is not over one incident, not over a couple of incidences, not even over the past these people may or may not have had. It's over the fact that there seems to be a pattern where they're not given the right to a fair trial. They're not given the opportunity to justify their case, to come before a judge and present their case. They're not given the opportunity, like many others, to be found innocent or guilty. Instead, they die often by accidents or misunderstandings in ways that are really painful. And so for you and I to love our neighbors, to bring justice, to cry for justice. We don't have to understand the death of this one man. We don't have to think the death of this one man uh, was justified or not justified. That's not our job. Our job is to see that there's a pain that is deep-seated for generations. A pain that perceives, perhaps rightly so, deaths that happen at an unheard of proportion that just isn't right. And so for the well-being of their children and their future, we can cry with them. We can cry together for justice. And then we can begin to discuss, what does that justice look like? How do we make right something that has been broken for a really long time? I don't know the answer, but it starts and ends with Jesus. The only other thing that came in today seems 
probably to not be serious, but just in case, I'll respond. How do you work toward forgiving friends who have not yet invited you to their pool? Hey, if you have friends who have a pool and they have not invited you, are they really friends at all? Oh. Actually, just joking. Uh, they don't have to invite you to their pool. Get your own pool, okay? Uh, or go to a public pool, though not right now, they're mostly closed. Or maybe ask them nicely, hey, can we get together and you share your pool, right? Uh, lots of options. If you're struggling to forgive somebody who has a pool who hasn't invited you, come talk to me. I've got a sprinkler and a hose. I'll spray you as much as you want until you feel loved, okay? Now, uh, one last time, I want to invite you and remind you, coming out tonight at 5.30, come early for the pre-service music. Uh, we're going to have drive-in church at Grace Lutheran Church off of Middlebrook. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got an ice cream, ice cream truck that's going to be there. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you in person. If you're not comfortable being out of your car or it's going to be really hot and you want some air conditioning, feel free to sit in your car and leave it running. Um, feel free to get out of your car and sit outside in lawn chairs and talk to people. It's going to be a great night. Come join us. It looks like other than being warm, the rain is going to be gone and it'll be wonderful. With that church, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. I love you, church. See you tonight. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.